Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Again, I am Michael Anthony Ingram. My very special guest tonight is poet, singer, and songwriter, Jesse Ellsbury. Jesse, are you with me? I'm here. Great. I am so glad that you're, again, with me tonight. You're a phenomenal talent, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your work. I'm honored. So happy to be here. Wonderful opportunity. Well, let me ask you a question as we begin this journey. What is poetry? I would say poetry is the distillation or translation of feelings into words. And it, it's, right. I definitely believe that it's something that can be built up over time with a lot, a lot, a lot of practice. All right, all right. Well, why is it important? I think it's important because humans are by nature emotional creatures. And when emotion is unleashed kind of willy-nilly or without structure, it can be very, very disruptive and destructive. I've kind of used, recently started using the metaphor, I'm a teacher. And so, uh, you know, I tell the students, you know, as young people, you're kind of filled up with emotion all the time. And it's almost like it's, like steam. We just generate emotions as a byproduct of living and it creates this steam. And if you, you know, catch, capture the steam in something and never let it out, it can explode. So you have two options. Kind of build a release, a relief valve, you know, that I, I would put sports in that category. Or you could um, kind of build a piston or a water wheel or something so that the steam actually propels the creation of energy. And the product of that is poetry. Oh, very nice. Nicely stated. What are some, as you think about your work, what are some of the predominant themes? So my worldview is, is fairly dark. Um, as a songwriter, one of the songs that I think defines me at least the title does, is Closet Optimist. And so I would like, you know, I like to kind of classify um, my style and my themes and all of that as kind of a pearl of hope in an oyster of despair. So there's a lot of, you know, darkness in the themes that I explore, but there's usually also some glimmer of light. Very nice. Well, please share a poem. So I thought I'd start off with, um, <clears throat> so I think a lot of people who are poets or emotional creatures uh, have dealt with depression. And so this is a poem that I wrote that kind of explores uh, that as a concept. Depression is something nobody gets, not even those afflicted with it. With the sponge on your eyes and the veil on your head, you're too busy wondering what it's like to be dead to even see what's going on. When you look at yourself, all you see is a pawn captured too early in the game. You spend so much time seeking someone to blame that you never ask what you did to get to that place where the sun never shines, where everything is offered and yet nothing is mine. But you get used to the pain that you feel every day, and the loneliness leads you to push others away. You feel so alone and you want some relief, but you're afraid that the effort will lead to more grief. It's not worth it, and so you conclude that it's safer to spend your life in your room. If you don't take the test, you have no chance to fail. Just be wary cocoon doesn't become your jail. Depression is when the pleasure of life is outweighed by the pain, when the past hits the, fu the future and tomorrow is stained. You can't see the ground, so you refuse to walk. You can't dare to speak because someone might talk. Depression is a day when the clouds won't part. And not a drop falls on your lips, which are parched like the desert you feel whenever you see the things you used to love or the people who believe you can snap out of this with the flick of a switch. Well, if that's true, then where is it? Depression is when the help you are offered matters less than the hurt that you have. When you hold on to that pain like a junkie holds their vein in a closed loop of cold suicide. Depression is a state of mind that confuses the truth with its own lies. But before you conclude that none of this applies to you, remember, even depressed people say that they're fine. Uh, done. 
Incredible. Incredible. So I, I try to add a little bit of humor. Um, sometimes, it's, you know, I, I, the way I look at the world, um, you can either laugh or you can cry, and I try to laugh. All right. Well, how does a poem begin for you, with an image, an idea, or a form? That's a good question. Um, I don't think that I'm a very visual learner. Um, I think I'm much more conceptual and much more language oriented. So things usually, I was, things usually turn out um, like it's a concept that I want to explore and break down. Uh, and then the other way things occur is a really catchy line um, that kind of propels things forward. So I figured out that I am a very rhyme-dependent uh, poet. Um, even when I don't mean to rhyme or even when I'm trying to handle free verse, I find myself drifting back into rhyme. Um, and so practicing many rhymes over, over many years, I've kind of built up a stock in my brain. Mm -hmm. And so that's the second way that a poem can occur. You know, you have a neat little rhyme and you just kind of want to keep it going. Well, share another poem, please. Gladly. So this next one, um, I tried to assemble them in some sort of order. So this, this next one is called My Heart Doesn't Cry. And I think everybody who is socially awkward, um, I've gotten better, but it never really came to me like a first language, uh, the interaction with, with other people. It's very much like a, a second language that I had to pick up. Um, and so I think anybody like that sometimes wonders about, you know, how I'd say probably half of my poems are about me trying to figure out other people and the other half are me trying to figure out myself. Um, and so this is kind of an examination of that. My heart doesn't cry. I don't know why. I see the people suffering and shrug my shoulders in reply. My heart doesn't howl. It doesn't know how. Whenever someone says they're in pain, my only response is to ask, what now? I know what it's like to be in their shoes, to lose, I do, but I see no reason to sing the blues, it's true, I don't care until it happens to me, you see, I'm narcissistic, solipsistic, whenever I suffer, there's an uptick in my concern, for I've been burned too many times to tell, but whenever I see someone in hell, I laugh, I'm a psychopath, I pretend to care, but it never lasts, it fades like a storm cloud, and I find myself worn down whenever I have to pretend, but every time it happens to me, I know that it's the end. Finished, so the, the end there is kind of reflecting how, you know, whenever anything goes wrong in my life, it's the end of the world. And I think it's important that, that we realize that other people probably, you know, experience their own emotions just as intensely. Very much so. I agree 100%. You know, all great writers and performers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours and what makes them great in your eyes? So for that, we would have to uh, lean towards it lean in two directions. One, poetry, and I'd say my primary influence uh, among poems is T.S. Eliot. I really like uh, the way he's able to create a world um, in something like uh, The Wasteland. Um, so he shows himself to be able to handle quite adeptly um, both a global issue like World War I, um, but also a more personal issue like he does in uh, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And then the other side of the coin is music. And so I've been heavily influenced by, you know, Bob Dylan, um, Lou Reed, um, Bruce Springsteen, Frank Zappa, oddly enough. Um, that's probably where I get a little bit of my satire um, from. And then, you know, Leonard Cohen's uh, just absolutely brilliant uh, ability to to encapsulate feeling and rhyme. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back.
Persons Listening Poetry Online Radio. I am here with the one and only Jesse Ellsbury. The call-in number is 646-787-1631 if you have a question for Jesse. And actually, there's someone on the line that may have a question. Let's tune this person in. The area code is 410. The first three numbers are 300. You're on the air. I think that's me. It's Paya. Hi, Jesse. Oh, Hello. hi, Paya. <laughs> How are you? I'm okay. You so Paya is my sister. Oh, she's your sister. Yeah, you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Of course. I wouldn't miss it. Jesse is phenomenal. He's phenomenal. He is wonderful. We haven't seen each other in a little while, but um, hearing that depression poetry really struck a lot of chords. Um, you know, Mom always told us we had a lot in common, and that poem was just so, I found it incredibly moving, and so I'm pleased to be able to tell you that publicly. <laughs> Thank you so much. That, that means a lot. That's nice. Good. Nice, I'd love to nice hear you Yes, he's going to read a lot more. So uh, okay. thank you so much for calling in. All right? Of course. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Paya. Thank you, Jesse. Well, with that in mind, Jesse, please share another poem. Yeah, I thought, so where where inspiration comes from can come in many different uh, angles, and I think every poem kind of has its own unique origin story. Uh, the origin story of this is, probably be fairly innocuous to most people, um, but it got me thinking kind of about growth. Uh, so, let's see, I had a pre-melanoma that was removed. Not a big deal, but, you know, just kind of in the future, it's one of those things, just be careful about the sun, wear sunscreen, stuff like that. Now, yeah. you know, me, I kind of panicked a little bit uh, and started writing this, but I suppose it was only a matter of time before my body turned against me as well. Started growing terrorist cells on my borders. With no hope of extradition, my desire to grow was a contradiction that could have left me dead. It's not a big deal. They cut it off and it heals in your own red alert ever since. My future is a haze of sunscreen and days where the sunshine makes me wince. Like a plant that makes me grow, the cells get out of control, and before I know it, I've grown old. Finished. Before you knew it, you'd grown old. Very powerful last that line. It, that's what cell aging is, isn't it? Yes, it's true. It's true. <laughs> what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Uh, without a doubt, it all starts um, with one poem that just, uh, you know, people talk of the muse. And... As I've grown older, I've become a little bit more skeptical of her. Um, in other words, I think there are ways around the muse, you know, ways to prompt your own inspiration, stuff like that. But when I was 14, I didn't have any of those tools. So the muse, you know, just a, a rhyme came to me on the bus, and it led me to, um, to, to write a poem. And so, you know, I wrote, wrote it down, I built on that rhyme, and that was the first poem I ever wrote. It's called Why?, and I can, it's one of the few that I actually have memorized, so I'll try to rattle it off. Um, when, I see my world is vade, when I see my world is fading into my eyes that keep from gazing, one thought that does occur to me is why. When I see my friends betraying as one by one, they keep on saying that they are still my friends, but why? When I see my strength is ebbing despite my tries to keep from stepping into the abyss that is my mind, but why? And so 14-year-old me jotted that down and that was all the positive reinforcement I needed. It felt good. And so I kept going. You <laughs> amazed me so much, my friend. It, it was it, a... Yeah, you, you know, you, I'm just you, stunned. You, you hit, I'm you stunned. You, you, hit a, a, you hit a strain a strain of gold very rarely. You have to go through a lot of crap. It's like mining. You know, you, you dig up a lot of dirt before you actually get, you know, a nugget of gold. I'm floored, Jesse. You're an incredible. The way you share your story is just uh, musical in itself. 
Thanks. I mean, I'm a, I'm a teacher, so I kind of get practice every day. <laughs> right, right. Well, share another poem, my friend. Yeah, this one. So half the things we want, once we get them, we, we feel differently. And so the thought of uh, invisibility was the concept for this one. It's called Invisible. I always thought that being invisible surely would be fun. I dreamed of the mischief that I could cause. I imagined the meaninglessness that would become the laws. Many would revert to the trinkets that they were. Food would be a gift from people I would never miss, and no one would really ever really know the mistake that my life really is. I awoke from life to find that I had become invisible. Sadly, no one noticed. There one day, the next I disappeared. There was no search. No one noticed I was hurt. I have since learned that I was destroyed long before my birth. A few people see the shell, but no one sees my worth. But most people don't see a thing. I leave my footprints in the sand or brushed away by the summer wind. My voice yells back at me. It hasn't been caught by any ears. My only remaining dead ambition is to be noticed when I'm near. I am the warden of the personality deep inside my head. I've worked so hard, I'm working hard to come back from the dead. Finished. When you share your work, you recite at a relatively fast clip. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice, if there is a relationship? That's a really good question. Um, since I am so rhyme accustomed, um, a lot of what I write picks up a pace of its own. And in order for it to sound entertaining, um, and propulsive. You have to use the rhymes as a propulsion mechanism. Um, what's funny is that, I, you know, even though I listen to, you know, music, classic rock kind of music, and really I haven't ventured too much into listening to rap, um, a lot of what I write just kind of naturally lends itself to a, a similar cadence. Whereas in person, I think my speaking voice is a lot more measured i i take time to think about the impact of my words where the impact of your words is all predetermined if you've written them down and so they can come out at any pace mm-hmm. wow. wow poets <laughs> again jesse I, i'm floored i mean it's incredible incredible poets are from all over the world where do you hail from uh, Washington, D.C., so born in uh, George Washington Hospital, grew up in Chevy Chase, Maryland, now live in Falls Church, Virginia. Now, how has your background growing up in D.C. shaped your work as a poet and songwriter? Um, well, I did spend a couple years up in, in Pittsburgh, um, but I think that especially being plugged in you know, to the DC scene and the open mic night scene and, and stuff like that, I've absorbed a lot of politics. Um, and so even though I didn't really take any overtly political, um, there's like one or two in, in the set that I've assembled for this. A lot of times I am leaning towards protest poetry or music or trying to do that. Um, and I think it's, it's number one urgent these days but also relatively accessible these days also. There's a heck of a lot to write about. I agree with that. And my next question as we think about protests, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Maybe this expands on what you just think. I think music has dropped the ball. I think we need a kind of protest music movement now uh, I certainly see a need for it, and I don't see much evidence of it. It's, if it exists, it's in piecemeal little pieces here and there, but it's not like there's any regularly productive voices like Bob Dylan was in the 1960s. Okay. So if we have okay. a, a protest movement, it's fractured, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's tragic. Tell me more about the tragic piece. The fact that there's a lack of coordination, um, and I think it's exacerbated by a, a, a lack of leadership. Um, you know, so Obama was a good kind of lightning rod for pulling everybody together. Um, I don't think Biden has that kind of uh, personal 
drive or charisma. Okay. okay. And so, you know, the protest movement is kind of floundering um, without without a nexus to gather around. Hmm. And of course, you know, and it's the, not like I'm plugged into, you know, 10,000 reddits on the subject. It's yes. just, you know, what I've noticed. Okay, I can understand that. Share another poem, please, sir. So I'm, I'm going to skip. There was one um, about inequity um, in, a, in a graveyard. Maybe I can go back to that, but I wanted to go to this one right now um, because we're kind of on the subject. So this is, I have taught in, this, I've been a teacher for about 10 years, and I've taught in some pretty disenfranchised environments. And environments like that where so many things are stacked against them, um, a lot of them come from fractured homes, and you have economic uh, inequities on top of that, and then institutional barriers, and there end up being a heck of a lot of barriers to entry to even the middle, middle class. And teaching a lot of students in areas like Southeast D.C., um, you know, you realize that they deserve just as, as fair of a shot as anybody else. And so this is a poem that I wrote. Um, I, I wouldn't read it to them, but it's kind of my feelings about them. Um, so it's called On the Wrong Side of History. You were born on the wrong side of history. The cards were stacked against you in advance by institutions and forces, gravitational pulls that compel the whole world to dance. It was the luck of the draw that doomed you to crawl while the rest of the world races by. You may be the victim of a whole rotten system, but that's all the more reason to try. Because I know that every teen has a soul that wants to do the opposite of all that's said. The whole world declares that you'll end up in jail, so why not prove them wrong instead? Finished. And so I wanted to, you know, had a tiny little twinge of humor to lighten it up a little bit by saying, you know, that every teenager really does the opposite of what they're told. And so I kind of use that as uh, as a as a staging for a message to 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 do all they can with the resources they have, Would you and share not that accept defeat from anybody. Share that one again. Sorry? I want everyone to hear it. I want everyone to hear it. Share that one again. You were born on the wrong side of history. The cards were stacked against you in advance by institutions and forces, gravitational pulls that compel the whole world to dance. It was the luck of the draw that doomed you to crawl while the rest of the world races by. You may be the victim of a whole rotten system, but that's all the more reason to try. Because I know that every teen has a soul that wants to do the opposite of all it's said, the whole world declares that you'll end up in jail, so why not prove them wrong instead? Finish. You speak, you speak truth, Jesse. You speak truth. I try. That really touched me. They really touched me. Thank you for sharing it twice. I, I have a whole folder in my computer of school poems. It's, it's easily over 100. Oh, wow. You know, you well, go you ahead know, and teach in the day, and then you reflect at night. Well, very much so. I agree with that. You know, all poets have several words that come up over and over and over again, words or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? Oh wow, that's a really good question. Um, I really, I'll kind of go with a family of of, of certain rhymes. Um, contradiction, interdiction, you know, interdiction, um, diction itself. Um, I think contradictions are are a big clue to life when you realize that life doesn't match up or make sense in any kind of way, shape, or form, things start, uh, things start falling into place. Um, so I, I guess contradiction would, would be one of them. Um, obstacles um, in terms of something that you need to rise above, um, the word and therefore the thought, um, has driven a lot of my work. And it's, it's funny, um, you know, being a teacher, you talk about growth mindsets versus fixed mindset. My impulse is, is very much uh, of a fixed mindset, 
I have to really put my mind to it to adopt a growth mindset. Um, and so I guess growth might be that, that, that last one. Um, Cause sometimes I do have to remind myself that having a good attitude actually does lead to better results. And, and half the time that goes against my natural inclination to, you know, to be all boohoo and emo about stuff. Okay. Okay. I see that. Your work can be both heavy and light at the same time. That's a good way of putting it, yep. Does writing energize you or exhaust you? I'd say it definitely energizes me. Um, Tell me more. There's no, there's, you, you probably understand this, this sensation, that there's no feeling quite the same as putting the words together in the right order and creating, and, and creating a building that actually looks good. You know, I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically here, but, yes. you know, when we build our, our, our wordscapes, there is a, an anticipation of the reward, and then there's the reward itself. And usually, unlike in most of life, in writing, those two oftentimes match up, I found. Well, as you think One of the about few that, areas. Well, as you think about that, what is the most difficult part of your artistic process? It, I think it gets different um, depending on whether you're talking about music or, or language. Um, okay. music, music, I'm almost, I'm, I have a limited knowledge base. It's, it's good, um, but kind of like there, there are some things that, some standards that you're not, some lines you're not supposed to cross, that being a little bit untutored, I'm not afraid to cross them. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say in terms of the most difficult part of my process, words-wise, is when you hit a brick wall. Um, you know, sometimes, especially if you're a rhyme-driven poet, you, you just hit a a position where you can't think of a decent rhyme uh, that'll push the plot forward and you can't find a way to back away from the rhyme without disrupting the sonic impact. Um, And trying to square that circle is difficult. And oftentimes what you have to do is stop, you know, take, take a breather and come back to it after 10 or 15 minutes, you know, oftentimes, or really, really I have um, in my computer, multiple um, word documents that just have a little line here or phrase there. And then as time goes by, I'm very much a grazer. So I'll go and add a little bit to it, a little bit to it and kind of work on multiple projects at once. That way I always have something to work on, even if I'm stuck in this one little corner. You know, I was reading your bio again, and it states that you're approaching 5,000 poems and six hundred, and you've surpassed six hundred songs. Where? Yes. Where, so, how do you do it? How so do you do it? I mean, the, that's the, amazing. Well, it started off as that steam engine, um, where I just had to get the feelings out of me, um, and found a decent way to do that. Um, it was actually helpful, you know, when I got a job, for example, to be able to compartmentalize these feelings. And so since I wasn't busy taking them out or having massive meltdowns or lashing out at people, I put all the feelings into words. And so, you know, I've never been, um, you know, a very physically active person. Um, You know, I don't play sports, stuff like that. And so I was able to put all that aggression, aggression, all that energy, all that feeling into it. And it started off being fairly undisciplined, but I think it always had the potential for discipline. Like I got into forms when I was 15 or 16 and tried to master as many as I could get my hands on. Um, But as of the past five years or so, I've become a lot more disciplined and started doing a poem a night. Whether you feel it or not, you know, I can't, I don't let myself go to bed until I've written a poem. Now, of course, life gets busy sometimes, so if I have to skip a day or whatever, 
then I'll double up the next one. But you bet I will. So I don't let a day go by. And therefore, I'm producing at a pretty steady clip. Um, and by now, after enough practice, things just get easier. And so it doesn't take as much massive earth-shattering shattering effort um, to craft something halfway decent. And with the advent of Twitter and being able to post short things on Facebook, that almost incentivizes me to come up with short, punchy ones rather than big, sprawling, you know, epics. I was going to ask you how active are you on social media and how do you think it affects the way you write? I'm, I'm a latecomer, um, but it works perfectly for someone with some discipline um, because then you can, you know, say, okay, in the morning I always post, you know, here later in the day I post on Twitter. Um, and so I have, I try to keep, keep that pretty consistent. So I have two Twitter accounts. One is personal where I put poetry um, and then another one um, for my band, The Sharpened Flats, where I use choruses from the songs that I've written. I'd like you to share a song if that's okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> I've never been known as a very good singer, um, but I make the most of what I have. Um, it, Things are often, you know, lyrically driven. Um, and I've, I've, so I've had to go through multiple voices um, to figure out a voice that works for me. Um, I kind of figured out one on a, a kind of an affectation, I guess, that's not too dissimilar from uh, the Violent Femmes or the Dead Kennedys with that heavy vibrato. Um, but hopefully you'll, you'll like it. I have a, a harmonica here, too, so... This is called the melted sweat of how the melted sweat of how I caught her. I love you more than I love anyone. She said that to me two years ago. She's replacing my memories with new flavors of happiness. You already know the step in the steps we've trodden. Eating fruit that's already rotten I felt what it feels I know what is real I caught her but threw away the real The bills to show me with the water That's the sweat of how I caught her How difficult could it have been To catch a winner who never wins In some weird way I was not Maybe she was in love with me And accidentally forgot Maybe the answer is our love had cancer And naturally reached its own end It takes two to tango And she was like Rambo But I was a carcinogen They filled the stone with the water That's the threat of how I caught her how difficult could it have been to catch the winner who never wins? So if you can still hear after that, Oh yes. <laughs> Do you have a, a preference, whether writing poems or writing songs? Do you have a preference between the two? Um, writing songs is arguably easier because you can reuse the chorus. Uh, okay. So that 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 eases up some of the pressure of having a really really catchy end. Because if you have a catchy enough middle, you just use that kind of paste it and then you have a new end. Um, songwriting is a lot more structured. In other words, you know, you have typically stanzas of four lines, um, a rhyme scheme of A-A-B-B or A-B-A-B, um, stuff like that. Uh, what I really liked about how this song turned out was at the end, I, 
uh, I, I, I went down this path and came, out, came up with this interesting metaphor. Um, maybe the answer is our love had cancer and naturally reached its own end. It takes two to tango, and she was like Rambo, but I was the carcinogen. So, in other words, Rambo is incredibly destructive. You know, and yes, yes it did take both of us to destroy the relationship, but the real poison, arguably my choices. Wow. <laughs> Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. online radio. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Jesse Ellsbury. Again, the call-in number is 646-787-1631. And we have another caller, Jesse. Are you there? Hey, glad to hear from you, whoever you are. <laughs> Hold on one second. <laughs> the caller's area code number is 410. The first three numbers are 365. Hi, and Jesse, it's Aaron. Yep. How you doing? Hey, Aaron. Thanks for thanks for how's, tuning in. How's it going, man? Uh, so you know you're you're so devoted to writing, and I actually didn't know this about about you that you write you try to write a single poem every single night, um, and it's actually something that I try to get my students to to do is just practice writing. And I was wondering what advice you had uh, or what advice you could give to get um, even college-age students to write better, to practice writing, to, to exercise that part of their brain? Well, practice is without a doubt it. And the thing about writing, what I like about it, is you're getting better no matter what. As long as, you know, I, I firmly believe in kind of the 10,000-hour rule, um, even if it might have been disproved in, in minute parts of it, the, still, the concept of pre more practice equals better results certainly holds true. I, I would say don't hold yourself to extremely high standards from the get-go. You'll get there. Hold that maybe as an aspiration, but for the meantime, it's enough to get something down on the page. That in and of itself keeps the gears moving, keeps rust from building up on the gears, and makes you sharp for when it counts. And so then, of for, course, the flip for, side. For, for students that are, for students that are like, they try to get something on the page, but they're just disgusted by what they write. And you know, it's a really common problem where you you write something and it, you're just like, I hate that, and you delete it, and they can never get off the ground. Like, how do you recommend overcoming that? I mean, just I think every writer has to. There's a certain amount of shamelessness to it. You have to get rid of that part of your brain that says no, that self-criticizing part, which is extremely valuable for pre per performance and stuff, but almost irrelevant when you're start in the early stages of writing. You know, that's why there's a whole free writing, you know, time in the writing process where you do that. And that's where you begin. And you have to stop that voice. That say, You have to be able to laugh at yourself, too, because some of the results you're going to come up with are going to be ludicrous or horrible or something you'd never share with anybody. But getting them out of you is still keeping the gears moving. And so they're, don't accept defeat from yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. Because then, because then you've stopped before you've even started. Oh, I'll bring you into my classroom next time. 
Glad yeah, we I've, I've, I've referred to you on ecology questions. Yeah. Have a good one, Jesse. Thanks All right. A lot. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for calling in. All right. You know, I, I think you may have answered this question already, but writers write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write? It's there, there's a line um, at the end of, of of the last poem I was going to share that kind of addresses that, and you could either look at writing uh, as how I look at writing um, in maybe one of two two ways, one more disgusting than the other. <laughs> um, it's something that you know you produce. It's a byproduct of living. Um, some would say it's the blood, others would say it's the waste, um, and it might be somewhere between the two, you know, something that I kind of like look at it like feelings are toxic when they're in you, but when they become on a page, when they get translated through that medium of your hands, it becomes art, it becomes beauty. And so this is one of those rare instances in life where a bad leads to a good. You know, and so emotions, not to say that they're all bad, but certainly, like I said earlier, they're kind of a destabilizing influence in many areas of life. If you can harness that same, that same bucking horse, well, a bucking horse has a lot of energy. Yes. Well, let me ask this so. question. You've written 5,000 poems, almost 5,000 poems, and I know the following question is very subjective, but what makes a poem good? Um, the answer would depend on, on, on how you define poetry. I would say if it's authentic, if it honestly reflects your feelings, then it has achieved its objective. And so, you know, if you want to talk issues of like craft, well, that's a slightly different question. Um, I view poetry as predominantly being for self-expression rather than um, performance or even reading. I think it's, its personal purpose rises above that. Um, and so I'd say authenticity. And people can tell if you're being fake as well. Um, yes. And it usually doesn't come off very well. So the truer you are. Now, if you have some talent with it, you know, and I believe that gets built up over time, then you can craft it with increasingly more beauty. But there well, are certain that, poems that... Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> I know you're on a roll, and I'm sorry, but I was wondering whether you thought... Well, I was wondering whether you may have thought that... What well, can a poet be a poet if they cannot feel strong emotions? That is a very good question, and for, for that, I would have to kind of lean towards, you would have to be a very perceptive individual. If not empathetic, then at least able to notice and understand what people are going through, um, either on a conceptual level or an emotional level. So, you know, there's emotional intelligence, and then, you know, more book smarts, um, and I'd say being able to read people so, you know, like I said, a lot of what I write, half, half of it is probably understanding other people because that really was not a natural thing for me. Now, with a lot of practice, I've gotten better and halfway decent at it. Um, so I would say being able to understand um, and, and pick up on other clues in order to understand what other people are going through, then you can kind of write from their perspective, you know, and there are exercises for this. Um, I wrote, you know, a whole series based on different professions where I tried to imagine, you know, what it would be like to be in their shoes. So that kind of thing. You have to kind of reach, you know, again, your comfort zone is your enemy. Um, and so reaching out and trying to understand other people is a great way to interact with the world but also en- enhance your skill set. Well, empathy really is important, so I agree with you. Please share another poem. 
So I thought uh, this is not one that's going to cheer you up, but it's it's an example of something that that I haven't. Go- it's very thoughtful, but it's something I haven't gone through or even really seen. Um, it's dealing with the topic of divorce and. The closest I ever got to divorce, you know, I've never been married myself. I've breakups, I guess. Um, but, you know, maybe seeing uncles and aunts and uncles and stuff like that and hearing stories from other people, but I never really had to go through it on a visceral, personal level. So writing a poem like this was an interesting perspective on it. Uh, it's called Parting is Such Sweet Morrow. No one knows the reasons. Everyone goes through different seasons. Her mother conceded. She was a bitch, growled his dad. None of us like them. Both sides repeated. And as long as you're happy, we're glad they were deleted from your life. Small consolation for losing your mate. Small consolation for feeling this hate. Love fermented. Hearts demented. The dreams of contentment shown to be lies. Who would have thought untruths were what they cried? It's not so much the financial expense. Money is earned. Money is spent. But the price paid in tears that can never unfeel. The laws of the hearts can't be repealed. They wouldn't admit it, but both of them sit and stare longingly at pictures, wondering what could have been had one or the other acted different. Their eyes are windows to their past that they leased for far too long. They were actors in a play where the words were written wrong. Husbands and wives make choices together, so I suppose you could say it was a matter of course, that it was collaborative when they decided to divorce. A judge presided where the world stopped colliding and courts ruled on what had been legally decided, but the memories, the tears, the children, and the years could never be divided. You know, there are different views on writing poetry with rhyme and rhymes, some positive, some negative. How do you feel about that? Uh, it, like I said earlier, I don't know if it's a crutch or a quirk. Um, okay. Whenever I try to write free verse, it's pretty, I pretty quickly fall back into old habits. I have mm-hmm. to, you know, it's like rhyme has become such a second nature to me, which is funny because I can't really freestyle. I'm not quite that quick, but I'm a little too quick to write, you know, free verse where, where, where it doesn't actually rhyme and, and have it sound decent. So I guess, yeah, you could say that, you know, rhyming is a crutch for me. Um, and maybe it's just I was born in the wrong, either, well, the wrong decade, if you want to look at academia, and the right decade, if you want to look at, uh, you know, say music. Because, you know, like I said, a lot of my stuff kind of steers in a rap direction, which is not necessarily what we get published in, in say, the New York Times. But that's true. Whereas, you know, two centuries ago, rhyme would be du jour. Well, speaking of that, what do you want your poetry to do? Where do you want it to go? This has always been a where where my um, fixed mindset has kind of shot me in the foot. Um, despite having written a lot, I've been fairly insular um, in in my writing. I'm not a very good self publicist. Um, and I, I always kind of think back to stories like uh, C.S. Lewis, who had to pitch The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe over 900 times um, before it got picked up. Or even Harry Potter. I think she went through 12 um, rejections. And a lot of artists have to go through far more than that. And so that kind of, you know, well, it's such a big market. Why would my stuff ever get recognized? Um, you know, it's not even what's in vogue anymore. And so I can, I can talk myself into a corner like the, like the best of them. Um, and so that has prevented me from doing, you know, anything more than modest attempts at outreach or um, applying to this magazine or that magazine. I'm trying to do a little bit more of it now, and I guess social media is, uh, is a possible avenue in that direction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, that fixed mindset is, is the bane of my existence when it comes to this subject. Well, I don't want to end this conversation, and we've got some time left, without talking about your book. Tell me about your, your book, your book of poetry. Um, yeah, that was 2011. Um, it, was, it was self-published. Um, I was proud of it. In hindsight, um, 
I think if I created a, a book of poems now, it would be um, significantly more focused and um, and possibly worldly. Um, when you know, in 2011, that was a difficult year, um, and like a lot of things, when it's a little bit too close to you, you don't yeah. have the same kind of clarity that you need. And so, having you know multiple years of of stability since 2011 has allowed me to reflect. It's also given me the time to go back through all. I'm at number 4,869. So gone back through all 4,868 poems um, and picking out the best, rather than you know going through an emotional moment and publishing pretty much the stuff I came up with then. I could definitely get a better retrospective of my career right now. Please share another poem or song. So I thought, I know we're running out of time, um, so I'll jump to the, the, well, hopefully I have have time for two more. Um, Yes. So I'll start with this one. Um, I kind of hinted at it earlier I tell my students, and I firmly believe that that life is not, the extremes are not correct in life. Um, The the happy medium is usually more accurate. And so when people ask, is life black or white, I think it's gray. And that's what this examines. Life isn't black and white, it's gray. As gray as a storm-strewn winter day, every day is full of doubt, and it's impossible to tell who is bad, who is good, and who is bad, who is sick, and who is well. I live in a store that has nothing to sell and nothing to be stolen. Nothing's profane and nothing is holy. I don't choose sides. I avoid confrontation. If you hit me in the face, we'll go to peer mediation. Life isn't black and white, it's gray. Love's never pure, and neither is hate. One's light is a feather, the other's a lead weight. But the feather has fleas and lead damages brains. Every perfection has its own set of flaws. Every just nation has some unjust laws. The only conclusion is that there's no use in calling anyone else weak or strong. Life isn't black and white, it's gray. Every criminal resembles a saint when viewed from a certain light. Right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. Friends become enemies and enemies friends. You may love the girl, but you hate her split ends. Nothing's perfect, they say, but that doesn't tell me what direction to take. Do I stay for the girl or leave for the job? Should I get rich or should I fall in love? The magic eight ball always shows up gray, as gray as an overcast April day, where the storms in the skies always rain down their lies, and I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) You know, they say to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? I mean, out of those three, um, like a mix of, of, of that real soul-crushing darkness um, mixed with the ability to laugh at it at the same time. Um, I think if, if my stuff did not have the touch of humor that it does, um, nobody would want to interact with it. It would just seem too despairing. Um, so. Yeah. By, by involving humor, I, I accomplish two things. One, I make it a little bit lighter, and also I make myself seem a little bit less like an emo crybaby. <laughs> so, win-win, I guess. Yeah, it is a win-win. It is a win-win. Do you have another poem for us as we close out? Uh, happily. So, this one is is the best explanation of how I view writing um, and it's called, uh, you ask what it's like to be a writer. And I'm thinking, you know, I'll probably actually share this, um, with students. I think it's, it's appropriate. Um, you ask what it's like to be a writer. It's like something out of your worst nightmare. Hundreds of characters living in your head, telling their stories, demanding to be read once you've written them down. They speak not to speak, they speak to be heard, and you'll learn to mimic their words like a bird because otherwise they don't disappear. They'll talk so loud you won't be able to hear enough to still survive. You ask what it's like to be a writer. Well, imagine your load is a little bit lighter. I've learned how to insulate with words. Use them as a salve when I've been hurt. Create the best out of what was the worst I had to endure. I am sure my writing will last longer than the people I write for. I create worlds with boys and girls who are uglier inside than out. It's not far removed from what God chose to do when he pulled us out of the ground. But the worlds I invent don't always end in death, and even the dead ones still live. And when characters are in pain, they can relive their fame by flipping back to page 26. 
You asked what it's like to be a writer. Well, ironically, words can't describe it. It's bad and good all rolled into one, just like everything else I've ever done. It's not full-blown schizoid blues. It's just a vocation I'm bound to lose. So I write for myself, and if anyone else happens to like it, then cool. I can't lie to a piece of paper. The truth is I need validation, but I don't write to fulfill that need. It's just second nature. I write like I bleed, and it has the same result. People look at me and question my health. Okay, I'm not going to share that in the classroom, but... <laughs> but that 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 little ending bit, I write like I bleed, and it has the same yeah. result. People look at me and question my health. I think that is that describes a lot of poets. Yes, I I agree, I agree. You know, as you think about writing five thousand poems, and I I hate to keep harping on that, but I think it's just it's it's incredible, and over six hundred songs. What is the, the, key, the key the key is it's it, it's a numbers game when you write that much, a few are bound to be yeah. good <laughs> well, that was my question. What is a measure of success as a poet um the 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 authenticity question comes in certainly um, but in order for other people to to bridge that gap between your heart and theirs you have to be able to tear down the viscera in between and speak heart to heart. So any method you can get to bypass people's natural defenses is something you should lean into because people are at their most beautiful when they're most vulnerable because that's when they're most human. Yes. And so if you can bypass everybody's defense mechanisms and speak just straight into their soul, then I think you've accomplished something truly great. And it's only my, you know, my hope that my writing can accomplish that with any kind of regularity. And being able to produce regularly is kind of part and parcel of that. Every time I sit down to write, I'm giving myself another chance to come up with something good and get it out of me in the process, and do a little self-healing. Wow. You're a phenomenal... It's, it's honestly, it's, it's the cheapest form of therapy I know of. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. And I know therapy. <laughs> You're right, it is cheap. Well, the very last thing, and then we'll close out, because it's been a great session with you. When people hear your work, they usually want more. What's next for you as a poet and or singer-songwriter? I think um, it was really nice having uh, a solid band before COVID hit, and then everything kind of got shattered into disarray. Uh, it's not like we were on, you know, we were on the uh, we weren't on the doorstep to like massive success in any way, shape, or form. But we had a couple of gigs. We enjoyed playing together. Um, so I would like to either, you know, reassemble the same band or, uh, or a new iteration, um, you know, and start playing with people um, in real life. And then, you know, of course, that's everything is a coin with two sides for me. So that's, that's one side. And then the other is to continue reaching out um, in poetic ways. I've uh, finally, I, I, I created a little cover letter for when I send my poems out. And I was so okay. tempted to uh, try to do something clever and, like, make it rhyme. I don't know. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out how to be innovative uh, when reaching out without violating norms. Okay, understandable. Understandable. Yeah. Well, I, I'd like to thank you for sharing with your friends. It's been an incredible Anytime. It, it, it's a wonderful experience. Uh, this was a little bit nerve-wracking. I did my best to practice. Um, but I want to thank everybody who called in. Um, I want to thank you, Michael. I want to thank um, everybody who, who dialed in and listened quietly. Um, would have loved to have hear, heard from you, but I appreciate the support nonetheless. Um, it's really nice and really, really important having a network of people you can reach out to to celebrate both the um, – to help you deal, well, to celebrate the victories and to help you deal with the defeats. Oh, wow. I could not end the program better than that. Jesse, you are amazing. 
I'm so glad that I know. Unfortunately, I, I, I would shake your hand now, but unfortunately, COVID <laughs> gets in the way. That's the only, that's the only reason. If not, if not for that, I'd be shaking your hand right now. <laughs> well, I hope everybody stays, stays safe. <laughs> yes, please stay safe. Please stay safe, and we'll and remember, see you. Laugh, don't, Thank laugh, you. Don't, laugh, don't cry. <laughs> and laugh, don't cry. I like that. Good night, everyone. Thank you. you have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.